Now, before I get into our fallen heroes, I just got to share a story from yesterday. I'm going to try to tie it in, but really I'm sharing it because it's just kind of funny. Um, but yesterday I'm working out at the Planet Fitness down over there in Preston Road. And uh, for myself, I'm, um, there's so much good food here to eat. And so if I don't do something, um, not only are you going to see this church grow, you're going to see this pastor grow. And so, um, but uh, I'm, I've, I've, I've done lifting and now I get on this cardio machine and I'm doing my thing. And there wasn't a whole lot of people at the gym on this day. And, um, and there was this man and he was immense. Uh, in fact, there is not a man here that has as much muscles as this guy was uh, had on him. And I'm watching him. He is warming up with weights that are far more than I can lift and far more than I even weigh. I mean, he just had a lot. And I'm just kind of like in awe of that. Well, I don't know, maybe in the midst of my workout, my countenance got strange to him or something like that. But all of a sudden he is yelling at me and he's back and forth. What is it? You know, and he's he's being aggressive with me from across the room. And I, I take out my little earpiece to be like, what? And I like and and I try to communicate with him, but he's got earphones in, too. And so he's just spewing at me nothing but but anger and threats. And I was like, all right, I'm putting my earbuds back in and I'm going to finish my workout. I still had about 22 more minutes on this machine. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, like, like once upon a time ago, I was a fighter. All right. And so when somebody barks at me, my like some people have a fight or flight response. Mine is fight. But this guy was way bigger than me. And like the little bit of fighting in me, I was like, I don't know if that's enough. Not only, but it's also inappropriate, you know. But I'm just sitting there. I was like, what am I going to do with this? And I just, you know, over the course of those 22 minutes left on that machine, I was like, all right, I'm going to, um, I'm going to go talk to this guy afterwards. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to speak peace to this guy or if I'm going to be trying to preach with some really busted up and swollen lips, you know, like, you know. So I walk over there and I talk to this guy and I'm just a big man. I was thinking, I was thinking maybe he's mad because I'm watching the NFL draft go on. And I was like, maybe he's mad because he hadn't got picked yet or something. I mean, he's just that kind of big. And uh, I get over there and uh, he wasn't listening to me. He just was going on about all the problems of this world and this and that and this and that. And anyway, I'll tell you this story because you know, we're about to talk about Samson and I got to visit with this big guy. But before the day was done... Um, God had given me enough courage to go talk to somebody who was being threatening to me. And, um, and he went from being not at peace with anyone, right? Because he really felt like everybody demonized him. And I was like, hey, nothing, nothing about that for me. And I was like, and then I, I even invited him to church. And he let me know that, well, he goes to a church in McKinney. And I was like, I was like well, listen, man, I'm, I'm Bob and we're on the same team. And we walk out together and know each other's names, and now hopefully I got somebody who's a friend of mine over there, but we went from being a very, you know, it was nice to be a part of of serving the Prince of Peace, and uh, but I was calling on God, because I was like, I, he may not listen to me. Anyway, so I just, I want to tell you that story, because, I don't know, it happened yesterday, and I'm still sweating it. I'm like, my gosh. <laughs> so we're, uh, we're, we're looking at fallen heroes, and today we're going to talk about Samson. You talk about a guy with muscles. Um, we're going to talk about Samson today. We're, we're studying fallen heroes because like 
there's a lot of lessons that we can learn. A lot of times we focus on what guys did right. We're focusing on what they did wrong. And um, the thing about, the, about biblical heroes, all right, um, is that the Bible is um, incredibly honest when it comes to its heroes of the faith. Like if you do any uh, uh, study of history, the heroes of old, you're not often shown their flaws or their, or their, 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 their shortcomings. You're shown all the reasons why they are heroic, why they were better than everyone else. The Bible doesn't do that. The Bible shows you that the people that God used heroically with amazing honesty sit there saying, I was like, here's this person that God used, and this person was messed up. All right? And that's something that you're going to see in, 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 in Samson. Um, the, and and the, the, the good thing about this is that we can see that if God can use people who mess up like these heroes, then, then God can certainly use folks like you and I. There is, there is none of us who are beyond the redemptive hand of God, no one who's beyond the empowering hand of God, and, uh, and God even loves to use brokenness to display his greatness. All right, so you find Samson's story in the book of Judges between the 13th and the 16th chapter. The book of Judges tells the story of a time after the Israelites had come into the promised land and they had settled into the promised land. It records the time in between Joshua leading the Israelites into the promised land and the first kings of Saul and David and, and um, Solomon. Uh, God had told the folks, you come into this land and you need to clear it out of the other inhabitants. Their wickedness is just too much for you to start over with. We're going to clear it out. You need to conquer this land. And they do not complete the conquest. And so there's these people groups who become problematic for them. And it's just a constant. It's about a 500-year period of time of a, of, a, of, a, of a mini war breaking out here and a war breaking out over here. And, and they, they weren't handling the problems as a nation. They were this loose confederation of tribes. There were 12 tribes of Israel. And each had their, their, their place in the, in the land. And somebody from over here would war with, with Dan and with Gath, and they would have to do something about it. And then someone over here would war with Benjamin and with Naphtali, and they'd have to do something about it. And they're handling the problems separated from one another. And what would happen is you see this, this cycle in the book of Judges, all right? It's a cycle where the people fall into sin, and then God brings consequence for that. It's a judgment, and it comes, came usually in the form of war, the people could not handle it, and so they would repent of their sin, and then God would deliver them by using a, a man of might, a military, even a woman in the book of Judges. Uh, um, and uh, and the, they would be this military leader, and God would give them deliverance, and then after time, they'd fall back into sin, have war as judgment. They would repent, and God would give them a deliverer, and then it would just it just cycles, and it gets worse and worse and worse, and they're their level of sin grows to a really gross place by the end of the book of Judges. Um, Samson is one of them toward the end, all right? Now, Samson, he is a powerful man. He is strong. He is the kind of guy that probably would have made the fellow that was barking at me yesterday look small. I mean, he just was an immense, powerful man. There's a story where, where, where Samson kills a lion with his bare hands. Another story where he, he whoops 30 men and takes their clothes because of a bet that he lost, all right? Um, there's a time, there's a story where Samson, for the sake of vengeance, he catches 300 foxes, he ties them together by their tails with a, 
with a, a, a torch lit there and sets them loose in the, in the, um, in the fields of the Philistines, all right? Now, I'm sitting there thinking about, like, like, not only is this guy big and strong and immense, but his vengeance. Like, what does it take to track down and capture 300 foxes, keep them and pin them? I mean, this guy, he is vengeful, all right? You, not, you don't want to mess with him because he could whoop with you, but you don't want to mess with him because he just takes things way out of proportion. This is Samson. There is even a story where Samson whoops more than a thousand men using the jawbone of a donkey. Another story where he rips the doors off the city gates of Gaza. Samson was not only a man of great strength, but he had an unnatural strength from God. Right? Because um, he just does things more beyond just what a strong man can do. But Samson, he was a man whose relationship with God was based on convenience not commitment. I mean, only twice in the story of Samson do you ever hear Samson pray. Right? His story shows us what happens when our relationship with God is based on convenience rather than commitment. All right? Now, because of Samson's great strength, and he was doing great damage to this Philistine people, they wanted to deal with Samson. And, they, and as try as they might to deal with him, he would overpower them every time. And so they devise a, another plan. They figure out that Samson has grown um, uh, romantically interested in a lady named Delilah. And they go to Delilah and they said, hey, we are going to pay you um, 1,100 pieces of silver to discover the secret of Samson's strength. And, and she gets gifts from, from five Philistine leaders. There were five leaders um, because there were five Philistine cities and each was the leader of that city. Um, so Delilah... She cozies up to Samson and she asks him to tell him to tell her the secret of his great strength. Um, and she's like, hey, tell us what what would it take to make you weak like another man? What would it take to subdue you? Samson, he uh, he lies to her first and he tells her that um, if they if, if, if someone were to tie him up with seven bowstrings um, that have not been dried, that he would then become weak as a normal man. So she tells the Philistine rulers, they bring her seven bowstrings that have not been used, that haven't been dried. And while he's asleep, she ties them up and sets an ambush for him. And when Samson comes to, he breaks free of those bowstrings and, um, and he whoops those who came to ambush him. Delilah comes to him again. This time she's upset. You lied to me. Why didn't you tell me the secret of your great strength and how to subdue you? Um, She's, she's got no remorse for trying to have him captured and killed. She's just, please tell me the secret of your strength. He lies to her again. And he says, okay, if, if, I could, if I were to be tied up with ropes that have never been used, then I would become weak like any other man. So she goes and gets ropes and she ties them up and sets an ambush for him. And again, Samson breaks free of the ropes and puts a whooping on the guys that are coming to ambush him. Again, Delilah comes... Um, and she's mad and she says, you mock me by telling me these lies. Like, like I'm, I'm wanting to know how to defeat you and you mock me by not telling me the truth. Well, Samson tells her another lie. And he says, if, if someone were to weave the seven locks of his hair into a loom, that, that then he would become weak. And so she does this, sets an ambush for him. And again, Samson breaks free and he, you know, and he does what he does. Judges chapter 16, starting in verse 15. And she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? 
You have mocked me these three times, and you've not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. Delilah takes nagging to a, to a great level here. I mean, she nags him day after day, and he just couldn't take it anymore. And she probably prodded him with words like, if you really love me, then you would tell me how to defeat you. And, and it's amazing that Samson gives in to this request. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's because it makes no logical sense. But, but just like people today, I think Samson is the victim of something that's probably gotten a lot of us and hopefully is not getting any of you. But, but there's something about romance that will cause an intelligent, bright, leader-filled person to be just, it just all goes away. Um, I can't tell you, I've watched so many students who were top of the class, leaders, I mean, even adults, like they're, they're, they have so much going for them and they get this sniff of romance and they're willing to compromise their morals, they're willing to, um, uh, to compromise their future, they're willing to sacrifice um, the good in their life because they're all in pursuit of this romantic idea. Smart, successful, disciplined, top-of-the-class leaders. They get a sniff of romance in their morals, their future. They make choices that absolutely make no sense at all. I've seen it. Been that person, too. Um, Samson, verse 17, And he told her, all is in his heart. And he said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all is in his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their, in their, in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at a mill in the prison. This great hero of God is fallen. He goes from being unbeatable to now being blind and working as a slave in a Philistine prison. Samson falls because his relationship with God was based on convenience rather than commitment. See, when your relationship with God is based on convenience rather than commitment, your morals and your values will be determined more by the world around you than by the word of God. I mean, we know from the story of Samson that uh, just things that he does. I mean, one of the things that we've already seen here is he, he buys into her logic that how can you say I love you? Uh, if his morality was shaped by the word of God, not only would he not have been with Delilah because she was a Philistine, but he wouldn't have bought into that sort of logic. He, he's buying into a worldly understanding of love. Uh, Anytime you hear somebody say, if you love me, you will. 
You ever got pressured like that? If you love me, you will do such and such. Usually whatever such and such is, is not for your good or not for your benefit and not really the result of love. You know, our, our American understanding of romantic love does not find its origins in the Bible. Um, in, in America, we fall in love. That's not biblical. In fact, um, you will never find the, the phrase fall in love in the Bible. Um, you will if you read an NIV and it's only in there one time. All right. Because that's not what love is in um, in the Bible. It's not love is not this uh, thing that you fall into and you, you're helpless and you're just laying there on your back like a, a beetle. I can't get up. Ah, I'm in love. It is like that's not real love. But that's what we call it in, in America. Um, the origin of falling in love comes from Greek mythology. When Aphrodite asked for someone to cause another person to fall in love with someone unattractive. I don't know why we're buying into this. Like, you know, like this person's ugly, but I just can't help it. I don't love, you know. Love in the Bible. In Deuteronomy 6, 5, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And Jesus says in Matthew twenty two thirty seven, same verse, uh, quoting the same place, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus answered, this most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. You see, the Hebrew understanding of, of love includes the mind. It's heart and mind. You're going to love the Lord your God, not with just your mind, not with just your heart, but with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. It's, it's, it's uh, holistic in this part. Biblical love is not some mystical force that we're helpless to, uh, this power that you cannot resist. You see, love in the Bible is a choice that then makes you act on behalf of the person you love. It's a choice and an action. And it's always for the other person's benefit. What our culture considers love is actually infatuation. We use the term love in America to elevate our feelings of infatuation. Had Samson's morals been guided by God's word, he never would have been with Delilah in the first place, and he certainly would have, wouldn't have bought into this logic that how can you say you love me and not tell me how to defeat you? When our relationships with God is based on convenience rather than commitment, we end up relying on the symbols of our faith more than the substance of our faith. Judges sixteen seventeen. And he told her all is in his heart. And he said to her, a razor has never come upon my head. For I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me. And I shall become weak like any other man. Samson is trusting in the symbol of his Nazarite vow. As a Nazarite, he was not supposed to drink wine. He wasn't supposed to touch dead animals. And he wasn't supposed to cut his hair. He is trusting in the symbol of his Nazarite vow. His hair. But his hair was not the source of his strength. God was the source of his strength. If Samson was truly trusting in God, then he wouldn't have done a lot of the things that he did in his life. I mean, he marries a woman before Delilah. He, he, uh, he marries a woman who's outside um, the covenant. In Judges 14, we're told that Samson went down to Timnah 
And at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your own relatives or among our own people that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. The New American Standard, if you've got that, he says, Get her for me, she looks good to me. Samson, in that moment, he says, I don't care what God says about relationships, nor do I care what you think, mom or dad. She looks good to me. She is right in my eyes. Later on in Samson's story, we see that he gets shacked up with a prostitute. In Judges 16, verse 1, Samson went down to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. Um, he shacks up with a, a prostitute. Another story, all right, the Nazarite is not supposed to touch a dead body. In Judges 16, 17, um, sorry, Judges 14, it says, After some days he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion. And honey, he scraped it out in his hands and went on eating as he went. And he came to his father and his mother and gave some to them and that they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. Why is he not telling them? Because he's got to let them know that he's violating his Nazarite vow. Samson, Samson trusts in the symbol of his hair, but it wasn't really a relationship with God. And by the way, Samson, he's a fella, he is living on borrowed faith. Because when he tells Delilah um, in Judges 16, 17 about his hair, he says, I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. Do you know who made the commitment to God in Samson's story? His mom did. He's living on his mother's faith. Mama made the commitment. I wonder how many people like Samson are living on borrowed faith. Trusting in the symbols rather than on the substance. We trust in our baptism rather than on the Christ who died on the cross for us. We trust in our christening. We trust in our confirmation. We trust in our church attendance. We trust in our education. We trust that, that my granddaddy was a preacher or my dad was the pastor. Or, or we, we trust in, in it, but it's not ours. It's borrowed faith. It's relying on the symbols. Salvation comes from what Jesus did. The cross is a symbol of what Jesus did. But you can't trust in the symbol. You have to trust in the substance, the person of Jesus. Cannot be someone else's faith. And so I just ask you, has there been a moment when you, as an act of your own free will, turned and trusted in the saving work of Jesus, giving him your life and receiving him as Lord. That's when salvation comes to you. Otherwise, you just got a nice symbol. Samson violates every part of his vow except the part that was convenient to him. The only part that was convenient to him is his hair. I asked my boys, you want to go get a haircut? The answer is always no. Just convenient for a boy. So no, that's the, he violates every part except for his hair. But his hair wasn't the source of his great strength. In Judges 16.20, um, she says, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep. He says, I will go out at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know 
that his hair was gone? He says, no, he did not know that the Lord had left him. He wasn't strong because he had hair. He was strong because God was with him. When our relationship with God is based on convenience and not commitment, we're helpless to the adversary. They come upon Samson. He thinks he's got strength. It's gone. And he ends up being... They take him, they gouge out his eyes, and they put him at work in a prison, and he could not do nothing about it. In the same way, we're helpless to the adversary, except our adversary is not Philistines. Our adversary is the devil himself. John 10.10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy... I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us to be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This devil, he gets after us and he is relentless. 1 John 4.4 tells us we got this promise from God. It says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he, who is great, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. There's this promise. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, then, then the presence of Jesus Christ in you is greater than the devil that's in this world. But if you're trusting in symbols rather than substance, he's not in you. If you're trusting in symbols rather than the substance, if you're trusting in something other than the person of Jesus Christ, when the adversary comes against you, you've got nothing inside you. And just like Samson was helpless, you are helpless. If God isn't the source of your strength, then you've got nothing to stand up with, nothing to stand on, and nothing to come against the devil with when he comes against you. That's what Samson experienced. This is why we live in a culture of such victimhood. I mean, because Satan gets after everyone. But, but because people do not want to yield their lives to God's ways, people are just getting whooped. And we, uh, we've got such problems, and people think, yeah, there's no hope for your problems. You're, you're forever an addict. You're forever a victim. You're forever bipolar. You're forever this. And rather than going to God as a solution, we ask science to medicate us in some way, and it's really I mean, I've been watching people get medicated my whole life. It's not working. But by God's power, I'm a different person than I was. By God's power, I'm not a victim of my anger anymore. By God's power, I'm not a victim of insecurity. By God's power, my goodness, I got the courage to go look a guy in the eye who's threatening me and say, dude, let's be friends. And by God's power, I made a friend. I mean... There's a better way, but we've got a culture of victims here. People love telling me their problems. Sometimes it's the first thing a person tells me about themselves. Hi, I'm so-and-so, and I'm bipolar. I'm like, wow, like, that, got, that got deep fast. We're like almost proud of our problems. Listen, we've all got problems, but none of your problems is bigger than the God who created you. And if God wants you to be free of whatever your problem is, you can be free. In America, you get a lot of attention for your problems. A lot of empathy. Let me ask you, what's that attention worth? How about freedom and healing? What would that be worth in your life? 
I think it's a whole lot more than some negative attention you might be getting. When our relationship with God is based on convenience and not commitment, then we will find ourselves utterly abandoned and alone. Samson has his eyes gouged out and he is put to work grinding in a mill in a Philistine prison. Samson is alone doing slave labor in a prison, but that is nothing compared to being separated from God for an eternity. You see, if you've trusted in symbols rather than the substance, when it's all said and done, you're still lost. You're still holding the, the bill for your own sins. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day... Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus is telling of people who are trusting in the symbols of the faith. They're they're trusting in what they did. Look at what we did in your name. He says, but I never knew you. We never had a personal saving relationship. You trusted in the symbols. You didn't trust in me. And I'm sorry, but depart from me. I never knew you. In the story of Samson, he's only found to pray twice. One's a selfish prayer for water. The other one is what happened at the end of his life. The Philistines were throwing a party and they wanted to flaunt their victory over God's hero, Samson. So they brought Samson before their great idol of their god, Dagon. All right? And they were going to sit there and show it's like, look, God's great hero is now subservient to our great god, Dagon. And they put him on there to display him in front of their folks to say, look how strong we are. Samson brought in there. He can't see. And he's positioned between these two pillars. And he asks a boy, he says, help me stand up. Help me find these pillars. And he places his hands on the pillars And he prays. And just like that song that we were introduced today. He says God. I'm not so strong. Without you I'm not strong enough. And here's here's what he says. Judges 16 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said. Oh Lord God. Please remember me. And please strengthen me only this once oh God. That I may be avenged on the Philistines from my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested. And he leaned his weight on them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistine. Then he bowed with all his strength and the house fell on the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed during his life. Some great lessons for us. In spite of Samson's failings. In spite of his selfishness, God still uses him. God was faithful. God is always faithful. God had promised Samson's mother that Samson would begin to save Israel from the Philistines. God was faithful to his promise. 
But oh, the cost that Samson had to go through. Think about all the things that you and I have had to endure because we weren't trusting in the right things. We were living selfishly. Trusting in the symbols of the faith rather than the substance. Remember watching a boxing match, a young boy gets up there and must have been Catholic or something. He does the, ask my boxing trainer, what's that do? God says nothing if he doesn't know how to fight. Symbols won't help you. You got to have the substance. What about you? Have you come to a point where on your own, you have said, God, I'm not strong enough. I need you. I give you my life to lead as my Lord and save me. Go from symbols to substance. I'm glad you've been baptized. I'm glad you got sprinkled. I'm glad you got confirmed. means nothing without the Savior. What about you? What about you? So with every head bowed, every eye closed, we're going to take this moment to get personal. What about you? I've known lots of folks doing the best they could trusting in their, uh, the symbols. Remember a woman, she had been at church for over 20 years, walks the aisle and says, I've spent all this time trusting in the symbols. I thought me and God were good because of something I did when I was a child, but I am absolutely, utterly separated from God. What about you? Are you living on borrowed faith or is it yours? Is it your dad had a relationship with God? Your wife has a relationship with God? What about you? Don't trust in the symbols. Don't trust in what somebody else did. You do it. So I'm just asking you. If God's speaking to you right now. Because God wants a relationship with you. God wants you to not carry the bill for your own sins. He sent his son Jesus who paid that price on the cross for your sins, will you trust in that and receive that and be saved? And there may be some of you in here today, God is speaking to, he wants to save you. He loves you and he's gone to great lengths to bring you unto himself. But now he's asking you to take that step of faith. So I just wonder, this is an opportunity to connect with me as your pastor. If anyone here has been trusting in something other than the Savior. And God is speaking to you saying, today you need to trust in me and be saved. If that's you, and I'm standing here on the stage, would you look up at me and stick your hand up in the air so that I can make sure, because you know, I can't see everybody with these bright lights, but if that's you, you say, Pastor Bob, I need to trust in the Savior. Would you make eye contact with me and just connect with me until I see you? I'm just going to count to three so we all know what we're doing at the same time. But if that's you, 
want you to connect with me. And how about today? We pray. Finally make it personal between you and God. So Father God, in this moment, if there be any here who is lost, trusting in something that will not save them, speak to their hearts that they might turn, trust in what you've done by sending your son Jesus and what he did for us on that cross, trusting in the power of his resurrection. I ask you to grant them that strength, Father. So if that's you, if God's speaking to you, when I count to three, would you just make eye contact with me? One, two, God wants you to be saved. Three. Father, thank you. Thank you that there is something real, tangible, that can come into our lives and begin a transforming work in us. And Father, I pray, that though nobody made eye contact with me, that, that your work will move forth in their lives, empowering them. Father, may we learn from Samson not to be have a relationship with you that's convenient. For Father, there was nothing convenient about what your son Jesus did for us. And Father, growth is always uncomfortable. So move us and make us into something more. And may we be heroes for you in this modern day and age. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.